This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Welcome to Pardon the Corruption. Today, my guest is Sarah Khalil from the Raptor Queens podcast. She is the host of the podcast, and she's kind enough to join us to talk about um, a bunch of things, but most notably the road trip that just ended with the Raptors going one and three. Um, you know, a lot of moral victories on that road trip, but only one real victory, as uh, Andrew Damlin in his post so eloquently put it uh, this morning, uh, this morning being uh, Wednesday? No, Today's Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, so let, let, let's start off with the with the main talking point, which is uh, the Pascal Siakam's resurgence. I mean, he had been struggling for a bit uh, and people were down on him and people seem to go down on him very, very quickly. Have you have you noticed that that it, it doesn't take a lot for people to really, really hammer Pascal Siakam? Yeah, I think that's true. Um and and you know there there's some merit to the to the negativity that there has been around him i think especially because last year we saw him just explode out the gate and really everyone should have just been counting their blessings that he performed as well as he did and at the level that he was performing at um you know the dip in the playoffs i don't even there are so many reasons why that could have happened. And I understand that Raptors fans were disappointed and would have preferred that the outcome of the Boston series was different. And there was a lot to, um, you know, look at for Pascal as to why we didn't win. But I just, I, I feel like the ongoing negativity isn't warranted and that there, there's an integration period when a player is learning new skills and becoming playing, playing a different role on the team. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. I think people are overly down on him and made a decision too early about what he's capable of. I don't think we've fully seen it yet. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think I made the point uh, last night after the, after the game uh, against the Blazers that, um, you know, this is a guy who, who is taking on the mantle of the leader of the team. Mm-hmm. It's his second season entering that role. And last season was heavily interrupted with COVID and he didn't touch a basketball for like whatever it is, like 40 yeah. years or whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> like and, it. <laughs> uh, so it's it's really harsh to judge him uh, in, in really short bursts. It's almost like on a game by game basis, we are like constantly judging him. And it's fair to evaluate a player, but when he struggles, it just seems like there's an exponential reaction to his to his bad play and a linear reaction to his good play, right? So, yeah. um, so it, so it was good to see him come back strong on the road trip. Were you like, are you where are you on the Pascal Siakam? I'm comfortable with him as my number one guy, my cornerstone franchise player. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are on on different points of that spectrum. Where are you on that one? 
Interesting question. Um, I am comfortable. Oh, okay. So I, I think the Raptors team is still Kyle's team. Like the, that Kyle still holds, holds the heart of the team. Um, I think it makes sense if you look at a skills perspective and um, what can happen, <clears throat> what each player can bring that Pascal is your number one option. But I still think that there's like an edge or an ownership that he would need to take over from Kyle for it to really become his team. And I don't know if that's how it's going to go. It might also become Fred's team. You know, we'll see how it goes in terms of leadership. But um, regardless of who's the captain of the team or who's leading the team um, vocally, what I still want to see from Pascal is a um, just, I guess, a killer instinct Mm -hmm. so that in those clutch moments, like he's, he's showing that he can perform throughout the course of a game. And it's those last plays in the final quarter, the game-winning plays, where it just seems like he hasn't quite adopted the mentality of, I will win this game, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And so that's the piece that I think there's still an area for growth. Is, is that a function of time or is that a function of like his skill development? Because it, it's normal to think that players like him require some time to to develop those skills, and especially, uh, you know, like, yeah, he's been in the league for a little bit now, but you know, I don't think he's had the focus of defenses up until last year. So mm-hmm. I, I think it takes a little bit of time for, for him to adjust to what defenses are throwing at him. So, for example, like in, in, the, in the game, um, game well, the, the shot that he missed against Golden State. I mean, I don't think that was the, the number one move that the Raptors wanted to, to play on that. But they were hedging him hard. They were closing out from the sides. It, it, it was left to him to, like, read the game. And maybe it's that reading of the game that takes more time. Uh, and then you, you combine that with skill development. It's, it's like a confluence of factors coming in towards his development. And we're kind of seeing like all the rivers kind of meeting and heading into the ocean. And it's causing a ripple, which which people are, are not used to seeing because they're, I don't know what people are used to seeing, but they certainly seem to be very disappointed when Siakam does anything wrong. Yeah. And as, as a perfect example of this idea of integration and then taking the next leap, Pascal had 10 assists and his, his assists and game making over the course of this season season has um, dramatically improved. And to me, part of the learning curve includes the, the downward portion. <laughs> A learning course, curve typically yeah. is not like this. It's often, okay, I got really good at doing what I knew how to do. And now I have to learn a new skill. And it actually requires me to break down what I already knew. And I think that's the dip that we witnessed. And now he's bringing it all together, adding all these pieces, integrating them. And we're seeing more of this upward, you know, curve. And to your question, do I think it's time and skill? I think it's both. And then I think the part I'm talking about is really specifically deciding to adopt a mentality. Mm -hmm. And um, Pascal plays with a lot of joy and a lot of emotion. And I think the emotion I would have him add is, uh, killer instinct <laughs> whatever that it's emotion intangible, is intangible right it's an intangible it, it's hard it to pin down yeah and uh, you know I, I wish we all you know i wish all all raptors had that kobe mentality from day one and that that, mm-hmm. that kind of takes time to develop did you notice That's anything kind of particular like on the west coast like, trip sorry go ahead uh, did you notice anything particular on the west coast trip that he did differently to get his offense because he was much more efficient overall uh than he had been in the past so did, did, any any observations on, on your end on there well, this is this is not going to be a very technical observation, but it's it's my favorite analogy. It's kind of cheesy, but I'm going with it. 
It was in the game against Phoenix. He had a series of plays. One was a dunk. Another was on the fast break coming in and just like Euro stepping around somebody to, it, it was just this classic Pascal moment. And my experience of watching it was I felt like I sneezed and I felt like I've been waiting to sneeze for eight months. And, so, and I was just like, oh, yes, he finally did it. And since that moment, he's been playing great. And so for me, this is not technical at all, but I am calling Pascal's emergence the sneeze. And feel free to adopt that and tell all your listeners that they can take it too. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I know exactly the play you're talking about because I was watching the uh, Phoenix feed for that game. And when he made that move, the Phoenix announcers, they called it a travel because I don't think they understood what a Eurostep yeah. is. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and my, that was my reaction. I was like, what the, that's not a travel by any means. Yeah. And it, and it was just fast. It was explosive. And I just had this moment. I'm like, oh my God, he's back. There he is. It was great. It, it was decisive. Right. And, and, and I thought, I, I thought, I, I mean, he was more decisive. He was more quick with the, with his decision-making. And also I, I like to give credit to uh, Nick Nurse a little for actually running the offense through Pascal a lot more. And even, even in the last couple of games that, that we ended up losing, our poor stretches really coincided with the Raptors going away from Pascal as a centerpiece of the offense and trying to run their offense through different guys. When he was on the floor, whether it, whether it be with the ball or whether it be on the block looking for passes or posting up, the Raptors fared uh, fairly well. Yeah, and, and credit to Pascal for um, really taking the time to learn how to read defenses yeah. because his ability to wait for the double team before mm-hmm. making the pass, like th- there, there are still some turnovers that he's making when the double team comes and trying to, you know, force passes through a whole bunch of defenders um, significantly less than what we saw at the end of last season. So I'm, I'm encouraged, really encouraged actually by, yeah, even though they lost, I don't know. Yeah. I, I was happy watching the last four games. What do you what do you say to because this was the talking point, even though he had strong games, this was the talking point coming out of the two games was that like Pascal's not clutch. Right. What do you say to somebody who who is adamant in that opinion that this guy doesn't know how to play the fourth quarter or doesn't know how to finish a game? What, like, what is your reaction? Like if you were like, uh, you know, I'm asking this question, like what mm-hmm. what's your reaction to people? Because yesterday we, we, we did our first uh live stream after a game and it was a bit of a disaster technically and all that but there there were a bunch of people in the in in the comment stream that really were hitting him for not being a clutch player yeah um so (laughs) my reaction is is two two things one uh, i think they're right for now but i don't think that is a verdict about who he is forever Um, What it seems like is that Nick Nurse is deliberately putting the ball back into his hands, knowing that he's not necessarily going to be able to get it and deciding on purpose to train him for those moments. Now, this might come back to this like killer instinct idea because you have, you know, legends like Michael Jordan who always hit your clutch shots, et cetera. And I I do think there's a mentality that comes with it um, where you just the ball's in your hands, you want the ball in your hands and you would never give it up to anyone else. And I think this is what I'm talking about with ownership is that the fact that there's even a question that it might go to someone other other than Pascal tells me that he's not actually the clutch player yet. Mm-hmm. Like, should it go to someone else? That that is even a question. He's not a clutch player yet. Yeah. But I'm, I'm willing to say that he could be. Yeah. And I'd say to become a clutch player, you the number one thing you have to do first is actually be willing to take the shot. 
Yeah. Forget about making it. I mean, even yeah. even going ahead and taking on the responsibility of uh, of of winning the game with like ten seconds to go and wanting the ball in that situation, that shows that he's willing to to be in high risk, high pressure situations, and he's going to miss some shots. And you know, like given that the season is not really about winning a title or even like doing anything special, if it's not for the development of exactly these kind of players, what the hell is it for? Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? The rest of the team, it seems to me, does still want him to be taking these shots. And so we're not seeing any kind of, we're not hearing about anyway, any tension or conflict from any of the other players saying that it should have been me or why is our coach doing this? And so to me, that the fact that he has buy-in from the team is actually the most important part of this yeah. of this element. I don't think he, as much as buying from the fans, we think we're really important, <laughs> but um, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, we're not, we're not actually on the court playing the game and yeah. developing these players. So. So we'd be remiss not to talk about uh, Chris Boucher, who really Our made it for himself uh, on the, uh, on the road trip. Um, I, uh, and I, and I mentioned this in just some people a couple of days back is that, it, it was Andrew Damlin who wrote the post-game report this morning for us. Uh, two years ago, he told me, watch out for Chris Boucher. And he described one characteristic of the guy because he covers the, uh, the the 905 pretty deeply and he's uh, he knows a lot about it. And yeah. he goes, this guy is not scared of anything. He he is fearless. It doesn't matter who he's going up against. It, it could be a guy who's like 80 pounds bigger than him or whatever it is. His attitude and approach to the game is exactly the same. He's fearless. He does not get does not get moved by the occasion. And anytime you hear that kind of description of a guy, you kind of know that he's going to find himself because he's got the, he's got the skill level there. He's got the length, like seven blocks in a game, consistent three point shooting overall. I, I know he surprised you. How much has he surprised you? Oh man. Well, okay. First of all, it makes me emotional when I hear you talk about his courage and his fearlessness. Cause like, it's just so apparent and it, it's wonderful. It inspires me. Um, but I do remember the very first time I ever saw him shoot a three point shot. I, I remember my thought was, Oh no, <laughs> what, what are we watching? Why is he allowed to shoot the ball? Um, because what is that form? So, you know, in some ways I'm surprised every single time that that shot goes in because I can't believe that it is an effective mechanism (laughs) to get the ball in the hoop. Um, So just that by itself is surprising, but, but, you know, like, am I surprised at how far he's come? I'm not at all surprised by the intensity that he brings to the court. Um, maybe, Maybe I am surprised by how effective he's been despite his size this season, I know he's had extended minutes. So we obviously expected some uptick in productivity, but um, yeah. Just- he, he really has claimed that center spot, which was up for grabs at the start of the season. And there was some like, you know, there was some debate, you know, like people at Baines is probably going to start and you signed Land and Boucher with his lack of experience, maybe mm-hmm. was even being slotted as a third option in, in, in some rotations. So to see him see that softness in our rotation and just grab it and take the opportunity is, uh, is, is just fantastic to watch. And it's not, and you know, it's not like he's a liability at any point on the floor. It's not like you're giving anything up by putting him in. With every other guy on the center spot, whether it be Baines or Len, with Len, you're giving up, well, pretty much everything. With Baines, you're giving up 
also pretty much everything. But with Boucher, you're 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 actually a plus in most categories that you care about as a center. And that to me is just fascinating because this guy has this guy has gone two levels up in one off season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I I still think the rebound the rebounding is a problem for the Raptors yeah. and. Um, I also think it would be unfair to put that all on Chris Boucher's shoulders. It's not actually the right role for him to play to be the team's key rebounder. He does a great job, especially offensively on putbacks, um, considering the role that he has. And so, you know, I think your comment that you don't give anything up is in comparison to in comparison to a traditional, you know, big guy, perhaps you do. And that's that's for the front office and maybe the coaching staff to either develop Baines and Len or to trade for a, a big piece. Um, but I, I would not fault Chris Boucher on any aspect of his game right now, yeah. um, especially with the roster that the Raptors have. You just just about- credit. I have nothing but like wonderful things to say about him and the energy and intensity and fire that he's bringing to every shift. That guy has no low gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. You, you brought up, uh, you know, you, you alluded to kind of lack of rebounding and lack of sight or not lack of everything in, in the front court positions. Are you, where do you stand on, on, on the idea of actually filling that gap this year, knowing that you will probably not be getting marquee players in return. You probably be gets, get somebody with a limited amount of upside, you might get like a starter, but a starter who's really at the, like it's like a mid-level exception type of guy you might get, but you'd be giving up assets that you might be able to package in the off season for something or a part of a larger trade. Is, is the need to fill that center position urgent to you or are you willing to kind of ride the season out and see where you go with these three? Um, I... I would go somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's urgent in the sense that it will make a significant difference for a title run. Um, I don't think we're missing one key piece. And then if we get it, uh, we're contenders. Yeah. At least there are no key pieces available. That would be the difference maker in my mind. Um, That said, do we have to wait till the end of the season to make a good trade? I don't think so. Um, And so to me, if the opportunity arises and the the right players become available for the right price whatever that is i would not hesitate to pull the trigger at all at all and i i hope that nisai and bobby are are looking and considering um what what can be done yeah but by the way i love how uh we like two raptor fans are talking about title runs when we're two and eight i know (laughs) (laughs) it's because they're not as bad as as two and eight but at the same thing, but the gaps are huge. Like there's just, there's just no room for error on a roster that basically has five consistently good players. And then one consistently inconsistent player who's, who is good. <laughs> That's Norm, in case yeah. you're wondering who I'm talking about. And then, um, and then a bench that you just, at the moment, can't contribute what you need offensively. Yeah. So so, so, so let's talk. So Norm, Norm is interesting because he he's always been like our trade bait. You know, like it's always mm-hmm. been like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah we're gonna throw in Norm. We're gonna get that guy. We're gonna we're gonna do this and like throw in Norm in there, right? You know, and while his value is just like declining sharp, right? Like he, he you know, he's he's like freaking Intel stock. Uh, so, uh, where are you in the? Uh, 
in the in the fade for Cade uh, movement, and it is growing. And a- as these losses pile up, like if we if we lose both these games to Charlotte coming up, like you're gonna you're gonna see you're gonna see a hashtag happening uh, if it hasn't happened already on, yeah. on just going and trying to tank and go and. What is your view on tanking as a as, as a strategy overall? Pros and cons. Where where do you stand on that? Uh, especially given this season's context and the two and eight record. I think I know the answer, but oh, really? Do you want to guess my answer? Well, well, um, well. I, I think you you just said that the Raptors aren't as bad as their record is, so I could extrapolate on that one and and project your answer. But okay, well, okay. <laughs> This is this is so personal and probably not actually about being a good basketball manager. And probably there's a reason I'm not a basketball manager. Um, I, I I really value authenticity. So if the Raptors authentically tank, I'm down. No problem. <laughs> like if they're gonna do it and do it for real and get behind that, then great. I don't think that Fred or Kyle or Boucher have it in them to authentically throw a season, and that that would be. Um, far more harmful to the team in the short and long run than, um, than just playing the best they can. And if, you know, if the best they can is last this season, okay. But at least it was authentic and true to themselves. Um, Masai, same thing. Like, can you honestly and authentically see Masai telling his team to not win? Um, I mean, maybe that's what he did by, you know, losing surge, <laughs> but not on purpose. Right. Like, yeah. at least I don't think that was on purpose. Otherwise he's playing chess and I don't, I don't even know what move he's on. But Well, well, well there is precedent for him uh, trying to sort of tank because he did try to trade uh, Kyle Lowry to the Knicks right. way back in December of whatever that year was. So he did, it was a Wiggins year and he did try to do it until Dolan had got cold feet and, uh, and went right. back. So th- th- there is, but that's pre-championship. I, I don't know how much a person's mind changes after a championship. So, so who, who knows, but, but yeah. that's a great point. I mean, authentic tanking is like, if you're going to do it, do it like Philly, like, you know, trust the process, make a five-year plan of being bad. Not this one year, like quick fix tanking. Come on. This- you know what? This is such a strange year. Like if there was, if there was a year where you're going to tank like I kind of would like it to be this year because it's a bit of a asterisk season it's a bit of a yeah. throwaway we don't even know what's going to happen in terms of player availability on a game-by-game basis so like ugh, how much does this season really matter um but I, I just I just don't see Kyle and Fred being like okay yeah no problem yeah. we're just not going to compete I just don't see it do, do you feel a little um like I find myself a little emotionally detached watching the games this year like I'm is not because if you emotionally attach, you feel sad. Maybe it's like a preventive <laughs> mechanism of like self-defense. I, I don't know what it is, but it, but but it, it is. but, but it could just be that exactly what you said is that this season does not really have a, a shining light at the end of it. Right. So you may as well just take what you can get. And like w- w- whenever these losses happen, usually I'd be like crushed after like two one-point losses, right? But m- my reaction to that really was. Yeah, well, you know, he's learning and, you know, we, we got something out of it. It was a good game to watch, entertaining. He got better. Like the, the reaction seems to be very different than previous years. I don't know what that, maybe I'm getting old. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's, 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 it's different. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely getting older, but that's the case with everyone. So don't worry about it. <laughs> that's how time works, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
So um, I'm still emotionally attached, but let's not. Uh, let's move to some other guys. Um, and uh, Nick Nurse again uh, will go in. People seem to have like uh, you know the, early on in the season there was a lot of a um, lot of calling for Matt Thomas to play a lot of minutes, and uh, he died. And uh, you know Nick Nurse was called, was being called stubborn, but since then he's really gone deep into the bench with uh, Malachi Flynn, Terrence Davis, um, and uh, Stanley Johnson's getting some minutes. Um, you know, Norm Powell obviously is coming off the bench. It, now that you've seen a bit of everybody, say for maybe Matt Thomas and um, what's the guy's name, Bembry, uh, you, you've sort of seen most of the guys there. Is there anybody that you're like that, like that player has sort of made a name for himself and, and gotten his his uh, his name into the rotation a little bit more permanently? Yeah, I think you have to look to Stanley Johnson. As uh, as being that person um, who, I mean, last year we made a joke um, that Stanley was the bubble MVP because of that one final game where he just went off and had this great game. And so, but that that was a joke. I was not expecting extended minutes from Stanley this year. And so, uh, clear, clearly, he has um, impressed the coaching staff. And to be honest, he's impressed me. I think defensively. Here's what I've noticed about who's getting playing time and who, in my opinion, rightly is not maybe Matt Thomas. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but like Len and um, uh, Aaron Baines and, and why they're not getting playing time compared to why Stanley is to me is because uh, Stanley's actually playing at the right speed and that uh, he's not this piece that's half a step too slow. And I look at Aaron Baines and to me, the reason he can't catch Lowry's pass is because the Raptors play too fast for him. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's because of, you know, two, how, how long is Stanley with the team? Three years? Well, he's been playing for maybe two, but he's, he was on bench. He was, he was injured one year, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so he's had this um, extended practice time with the Raptors. And I think where he's benefited is that he knows how fast the Raptors play. Yeah. And that's, that's what I like to, to look at when I see even um, Yuto Watanabe coming off the bench, I think he's fast and that the game isn't too fast for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so that, that's encouraging. I think that of course there's still like skills that need to be developed on the bench and that there's just like so much more development potential. That's my nice way of saying that. Yeah. Oh, Sammy Johnson is a good call out. And I, I think defensively he, 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 he is definitely ahead of, uh, Maybe Davis, uh, but Davis is too sporadic and too inconsistent defensively to uh, yeah. uh, to really be in that. I actually category think that Stanley there. Johnson is more consistent on defense than Norm. I yes. think Stanley's head is in the game consistently yeah. this year, in particular. Like he's grateful for the opportunity that he has, and whatever he had to learn to get off the bench, it seems to me like he learned it. Yeah. And you see that sometimes people get a chance to sit on the sidelines and observe the game and think about it, knowing that they don't have to worry about playing time because they're injured or whatever. So you get a chance to just kind of detach yourself from the game and just observe and see what other people are doing. And then when it comes time for you to play, there's a lot you can take into the game after having been out of it. Right. There's there's that element of it, too, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the NBA announced uh, some uh, new COVID protocols. Uh, I, I I honestly don't know how to. Con- I have no idea how to contain this uh, disease uh, or uh, or anything about it. But so now they've kind of banned like uh, pre <laughs> like shoot arounds are limited. Uh, you can't bump on the on on the free throw line. 
you got to wear masks at certain times and on certain chairs. It's it's a bit of a hodgepodge of a mess. And 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 they're doing this because they really don't want to want to lose games because I think for every game on Turner, I think it's like three and a half million, four million dollars revenue for the TV companies, and they they obviously they don't want to mess with it. Yeah. Do you think the NBA? First of all, we'll be able to finish the season because there were there were already some rumblings of interruptions or pauses in play. Like, w- what's your view of this entire thing and just COVID in general and and how the NBA came back? So my first thought is, I'm really glad I'm not Adam Silver. That would just be the worst <laughs> job to have. Um, and then, I don't think there's I don't think there's a definitively right. Answer answer Mm -hmm. the the um black and white way to approach it is don't play Mm -hmm. uh life is rarely black and white so what are you going to do uh you have to balance so many interests i imagine they're doing the best job that they think they can or like they think they're doing the best job they can and i don't know if the season will finish uh, maybe maybe that's the Raptors grand plan and maybe that's why they were so like meh for the first few games just what's the point um so yeah, yeah. I mean it's 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 a, it's a tough topic to even discuss because there's so many unknowns in, in, into this thing and we're, we're not privy to like information uh, exactly. that goes into decision making uh, but when you see when you see player uh, you know players getting COVID left and right and Kyrie having you know parties and videotaping them for some reason which makes n- no sense whatsoever um, there's a video out there with him with his family, uh, which uh, and he's in, in in trouble with the Nets for uh, for doing that. A lot of things. So, I mean, if, if I look at the rate of spread, uh, and I look at that, really, there's no in, in the bubble. You were in the bubble. You had you had no options, and now you can do basically whatever you want. Really, there's, yeah. there's no policing. Um, yeah. I, I, I would be shocked if the NBA doesn't at some point just pause play. Yeah. Um, Hopefully not, know. but I'm just saying that that that, that could be um, could be it. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Maybe that's my flip of what you just said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a difficult topic, as I said. Let's uh, let's let's yeah. put this one into into bed. By the way, uh, Ontario in a lockdown, and I know you're in um, you're in BC. Uh, well, what's the situation there? Is, is, is it locked down there? What's the, what's the, what's, how are you guys dealing with it? No, we, we have some restrictions. Um, rolling case averages, I think, are around 500 a day, which is plateaued and coming down from the beginning mm. of December. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, yeah, there, there are restrictions on social gatherings, but re- restaurants are still open. Mm. Um, malls, I don't know. They're, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think we're in the same position as, a lot of other provinces, yeah. so we're fortunate. So, so let's let's pick up on the BC thread a little. Um, sure. We uh, we talked a little bit over over, over text about uh, the Vancouver Grizzlies and how you were a Raptor fan living in uh, in Calgary. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing the Grizzlies were around when you were a Raptor fan, or yeah, yeah, they were. I, I never particularly followed the Grizzlies because I was just super hardcore about the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I still walk around. I see people wearing. Uh, Bibby jerseys or, um, yeah, big guy 
I'm blanking. Bryant Reeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bryant Reeves. Uh, they've got his jerseys walking around. So, I mean, there's still like a love for basketball in this city. And I think people wish we had a team still or again. How's the, uh, have you noticed like how the coverage of the sport has changed in Calgary over the years? Because I can tell you like when, when I came to Canada in, um, in, you know, in 1995 or, or around that time, uh, I remember being a big basketball fan and uh, looking for sports coverage of the Raptors or, or, or basketball in general. And it was zilch, right? Yeah. I, 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 and I, it's edged in my brain. I remember just tuning into the Fan 590 Sportsnet and every 20 minutes they used to give like sports updates. Like, you know, hey, uh, you know, this team beat that team. It was mostly NHL, but they used to give the NBA scores as well. Like, you know, the Knicks beat the Heat or whatever. And I remember being shocked when during the sports update, they did not even bother announcing which two NBA teams played. And they just said the winners from the NBA included the Knicks, Bucks, Lakers. And I'm like, yeah, but who did they beat and by how much? Right. So and I was like, God damn, man. Like, what was Calgary something like that? Or was it this is Toronto in mid 90s? What was the Calgary experience like tr- trying to be a basketball fan there? Yeah. Um, so it was, is the game on TV? So that was a question. Like, could we actually watch it? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's about as much as I can say. Now I don't ask if the game's on TV. At least I know that it will be. Um, and I don't know. I, I was a kid. We would just cheer for the Raptors in my basement. Okay. okay. And it was great. I, I, I think I'm showing my age difference here. In, in <laughs> last couple of questions. Okay. Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> So uh, let's talk a little bit about before we round up about uh, about uh, your podcast, uh, Raptor sure. Queens. Uh, wh- when did it start? What motivated it? Um, uh, like what? Uh, how how did it come about? Yeah, well, uh, so the Raptor Queens podcast is the first ever all women podcast that covers the Toronto Raptors. Um, really, how it came about was because of Twitter. Um, I think it was. Oh, now, I actually can't remember who tweeted it now. I think it was at Nope Name um, tweeted something like, oh, wouldn't it be great if there was an all-woman podcast for the Raptors? Who would want to do that? Mm-hmm. And then I wrote, I was like, I would love to. That would be amazing. And then a bunch of people responded. I ended up getting in touch with them. And we were like, okay, well, I guess we're doing it. So uh, that was that was a year ago in December. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're, we're on season two. I think we've recorded something like 45 or 50 episodes um, yeah. weekly coverage it's great yeah and and now there are two because there's also uh dishes and dimes which is that's right yeah yeah so um the same person who originally tweeted is actually part of it little little did i know that i think they actually had a plan to um to to launch an (laughs) all-woman podcast and i just wasn't aware that they were probably doing it and i was like oh i have to make sure someone does this and so i kind of like took it upon myself to make sure it happened meanwhile they were doing it as well so it's great i'm happy that they're in the space and yeah yeah they're awesome you know yeah i i've uh, i've listened to both and, and definitely a um, a different perspective on both totally than, different styles than what the stuff is out there which is which is a really welcome sign because uh, a, a lot of it is just it, it is fascinatingly different and i and i really enjoy uh, whenever i do tune in Oh, thank you. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I would say is characteristic of our podcast is we're really in a conversation more than a debate. Even when there's questions like a yes or no question, we're rarely going to 
you know, be fighting each other or yelling at each other, which I think is what they do, you know, on TNT and ESPN for ratings, Mm -hmm. but you won't find that on our podcast. (laughs) ESPN has become essentially unwatchable for me. Right. It's It's annoying. It's, uh, I think I've I've mentioned this before that one of my favorite channels ever was headline sports, which was what is what later became the score TV. Mm. Um, And it was, all highlights, 24-7, no human being. You never saw a person. You only saw highlights and you saw a, 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 the background voice calling the highlights. And that guy used to be Sid Sixero. I think I'm pretty sure he was one of the guys who was commentating on the highlights. And to me, that that remains to date the best sports channel I have ever seen. And I'm shocked that nobody has gone back to just the ba- the basics of just watch the highlights, man. Watch the highlights, put some commentary, and that's all you need. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you would just need the rights to all the the footage, right? Yeah, I mean, I, sure. I mean, you got to sort out all the details and all sorry, that. Sorry, I'm a lawyer. I'm like, how could you go about doing that? <laughs> what agreements would you need? So sorry about that. It, it, it's funny because because the end we're kind of getting off topping on this last one, but who cares? Uh, the NBA is actually very lenient with their copyright. Um, I'm not saying you could do that without penalty. Yeah, but if, yeah. you, if, if you use their clips on YouTube or, yeah. or anywhere else, yeah. they will they, they will make you, they will put a copyright infringement notice on you. Yeah, but they will not penalize you. Yeah, like, it's I not like your account will get banned or anything like that. Yeah, I think they're like attempting for like viral marketing of some kind, and so deliberate decision to do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, which is the opposite of Major League Baseball, which which really messed up on uh, on this front a couple of years back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I mean, I I want to be able to watch highlights whenever I want. And um, I know there are some fantastic Raptors fans who use the highlights to put together great commentary. And then there's a lot to learn. Right now I'm thinking of too much hoops and the defensive breakdowns that they do. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, Sarah, thank you for uh, coming on uh, um, and, uh, and and talking to me for the last little bit. We hope to have you back, uh, hopefully on, on one of these shows or maybe on a post-game live stream that we might do after one of these games in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Once again, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. I'm really honored to be here. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.